last week, uh, this is a response, really, what we're teaching tonight about why would, why would I include anything on a holiness, on a discipleship series on the externals? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, God addresses it in his word. So I think if God addresses it in his word, we should probably address it in a session. Amen? All right. Me and three or four other people think that that's important. Second, because when new people come into the church, they often ask me questions such as, why do so many of the ladies in your church have long hair? Why do so many wear skirts? Why do men have short hair? Why? And so really what we do is, is, is it's important in a session like this to dive into the word of God to make sure, you know, whether, whether you're a first-time guest or, you know, you're, you're a seasoned saint, that you know, hey, nobody's saying that in order to worship here or be a part of this, you have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, spend a certain amount on clothes. That's not the case. But there are things that in our consecration to God are being separated unto him. Because remember, holiness is not just what you're separated from, but who you're separated unto. So remember that. Um, and if you're tuning in online and you're like, hey, oh, you just put so much emphasis on the externals and I think that other things matter, uh, you probably want to tune in to the earlier 14 lessons um, before you accuse me of anything, okay? Because there are a lot of things and there's a reason why this is at the end, not because it's less important, but because, hey, if we look right but we lack internal holiness, we don't pray, we don't read the word, we don't fast, then really this doesn't matter very much. Amen? I get a resounding amen on that one. Amen? All right. So, and some of you tonight might even have some of these questions. So it's important that we say, okay, well, what does the word of God say about these things? And so that's what we're going to look at. Last week, we looked at apparel and gender distinction in apparel. Tonight, we look at something different. I have a, a PowerPoint here. Does God care about my hair? 21st century, where we live, I think people think we're dinosaurs for even talking about this. But the Bible addresses it. And so culture doesn't define what's normal for me. The Bible does. Amen? So tonight, we're looking at this topic. Does God care about my hair? Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to come into a building that was built for this purpose. People studying your word, worshiping together, encouraging one another. It really is a privilege, an honor, a pleasure to be here tonight. Lord Jesus, with all kinds of people, Lord, who love you and are pursuing you, really all of us together, Lord Jesus, and help us to hold one another up in this pursuit. But Jesus, I pray specifically for this lesson, this topic on about hair. Lord, there's a powerful truth that comes along with this, one that if our hearts and minds are open, I believe that there, there's something that we can receive here tonight that really could change us. So help us to have open hearts and open minds, not to be closed off to anything and to be open to what your word says. In the name of Jesus, we, we pray. And everyone said... This lesson is going to focus on answering this question. How can we possibly please God with the hair that's on our head? And don't worry, we're going to dive in that because if you don't have much hair, you're probably like, no, that's, there's good news about this. And you're going to see here in just a minute. Let's look at some history. Start by looking at biblical history before we look at sociological history because we're going to do a little bit of both. Um, what the Bible has to say about this topic of hair. 
Cutting of hair, and this should be in your, in your notes. If you're listening online and you need notes, email us at info at refugechurchonline.com. We'll email you some. If anyone here tonight needs a packet of notes, raise your hand. The usher will get you one right away. Um, but there should be scriptural references listed on your handout that we're not going to take time to go through all of them. But cutting hair in the Old Testament, Isaiah 22, Ezekiel 27, it was a symbol of disgrace and mourning in the Old Testament. The hair was to show an outward sign of God's glory. And this is not anything new because just like we've talked about, there, was, there, was, there seemed to be like an outward sign for a covenant. God says, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood. Here's a rainbow to show it. I'm going to put my pillar of fire, a cloud above the tabernacle to show that I'm dwelling in that place. It was visible signs that showed God at work in a place. So this concept is, is, is not anything new. Just like speaking in tongues, what? It's an outward sign that God has now filled you with his spirit. So all of these things, it's, it's, it's really not anything abnormal to what we see in the word of God. When God spoke through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 7, he told them to have the people cut off their hair. Why? In that passage, it was to show rejection from God and his wrath upon his people. Uh, hair was symbolic of glory. A woman's long hair was and is symbolic of the blessings of God, according even to Ezekiel 16. When you read Ezekiel 5, you see God use the prophet's hair as an object lesson to God's people. And again, for us to take time, we would, this would be a three-part series if we went through all this. But I did, I believe I gave you the scripture references in your handout. So look at them, study them. If you don't want to take my word on that, I encourage you to look at it. Um, but God tells Ezekiel to cut his hair and use it to illustrate how the glory of God would depart from Jerusalem. So notice he was putting glory along with hair, and he was making this connection in the, in the Bible. Ezekiel without his hair was symbolic of Ezekiel without his glory, which in turn symbolized Jerusalem without the glory of God. Okay? So people who say, oh... The whole hair thing, I don't get that. There's only one passage in the Bible, and that's even unclear itself. If you're saying that, you're wrong. You're wrong because there's more than just one passage, which the most famous, infamous, whatever you want to say, passages in Corinthians, and we are going to take time to break that passage down. Okay? So the New Testament speaks of his glory also. Look at... Um, 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. The Bible now clearly states that a woman's hair is a glory to her. Right? I mean, I'm not adding to the word here. It says it's a glory to her. I'm reading verbatim from the Bible. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16 is a, is a passage we want to look at. And it's a key passage. When Paul was writing his first letter to the Corinthian church, this New Testament church, hair is, the topic of hair is brought up. The passage is discussed, not just here, but frequently discussed in graduate schools across America, theological seminaries and theological journals, magazines, books. Most of the works agree that this passage speaks of a symbol. 
Whether it's a literal veil or our hair acting as a type of a veil, it represents a symbol greater than itself. Most will agree in theological circles. So I want to start with what we agree with and work our way from there. Disagreement arises as to what the symbol actually is. And so we're going to look. As you know, I hope you know by now, I am very much, I, I am passionate about the word of God, and I will not tell you this is what we believe because I was raised this way, my pastor taught me this way, the UPC teaches this. Let God be true and every man a liar. The only thing we can trust is what is thus saith the Lord. So in order to fully understand this, I'm not just going to preach two topics. I'm going to teach more in depth than I probably have in a long time. Because, so stay with me, put the seatbelts on. We're going to go deep into the word of God. And so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, some Aramaic. New Testament Greek. So we need to understand what were they saying in the Greek language? What were they saying at that time? Because herein lies the problem. Today, I've heard this, and maybe you've heard this before too. People say things like, well, if God didn't want us to do this, or if God was passionate about this area of our hair, why didn't he just come out and say that more clearly? Anyone ever heard this before? Okay. What you're going to see here is we are so self-centered in our approach to the Word of God that we read the Bible through the eyes of 21st century Western culture. And the Bible, many parts, New Testament, is a first century Jewish book. And so why didn't he say this? Well, There was no need to say some of these things because what we do now and the way we live now was not the norm of the way they lived. So you have to understand that as we dive into this. So we need to say this is where a lot of times, and this is a postmodern society we live, we, there, there are, whether you realize it or not, when you read the Bible, you are interpreting things based on your approach. So a lot of people in this day and age will read and try to find themselves in the word of God. And I'm of the belief that that should not be the case. I should be reading, trying to aim and understand the context of what that writer was writing to that audience in that time. And then absolutely, there's going to be personal application for me But it's not just picking and choosing of where I am and what I'm going through today. It's, hey, what was going on in their life? What was going on at that time? Why was he writing this? What was he trying to say to that audience? Because Paul was not writing this to Gary Dornbach in, in October of 2016. So keep that in mind, not just for this, but as you read the Bible throughout all the rest of your life. And so, uh, this, whether it's a little literal veil, disagreement arises. And so, we're going to look at this. It's evident that 1 Corinthians, when you read chapters 11 through chapters 14, it addresses three major issues in re- relating to church worship. First is submission to authority as symbolized. I am having a hard time. This is not moving me on. Okay. First is 
Submission to authority as symbolized by head covering. And I list the, the reference, the passage reference. The second is commemoration of death of Christ by means of the Last Supper. That's the next thing. And then the third is use of spiritual gifts. So these are three things that he's teaching and addressing to the Corinthian church. He's, 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 he's training this church. And if you read through the Corinthian letters, this church was a mess. I mean, a mess. You think that there's churches in America that have problems? They would have probably closed the door on this church. There was a, it was such a mess. But Paul, in his patience, his grace, God's grace, he works with this church. But based on Scripture, it's clear that the Corinthian church, they were abusing the Lord's Supper, and they were abusing spiritual gifts. This is why P Paul teaches so in-depth on, hey, let one prophesy, let, let it in tongues, and this is the way it needs to he, 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 he explain things to them, and they were abusing these two things. It's not so clear whether or not they were also in error in the matter of head covering and, and covering the head, but if they were not actually erring in these issues, they were apparently at least in danger of doing so, or why was the topic even brought up? So you, so you understand that. <clears throat> so the passage is extremely important to what we're looking at today, but it's also rather confusing at first glance. Anybody, anybody ever, do you know the passage in 1 Corinthians 11? Has anyone ever read that, that you know already where I'm going? And you've read through this possibly and gone, well, King James English, we're going we're gonna to break this down. We're going to take it verse by verse. And so get your pen out, your notepad, your phone app, whatever it is, um, and be ready. So we're going to start at verse 3. Paul says, but I would have you know, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Right off the bat, like some people just don't like this. this we're off to a bad start already for some. <laughs> Many people will say that this is the hair passage. First Corinthians 11, that's the hair passage. Anyone ever heard that? They tend to think hair was the main topic discussed by Paul in this passage. It's not. Kind of like even in Acts 2, dare I say to a Pentecostal church, that the main topic was even not even speaking in tongues as much as it was Jesus Christ and him crucified and what his plan is. Now, that's not to belittle anything, but I'm just, I'm just wanting you to see this. So this, it's the hair passage. It's not the hair passage. The, the, this verse introduces the real subject of the entire passage. Guess what it is? Headship. Headship. The important concept is expressed in human relationships between man and Christ, woman and man, and the human Jesus Christ and God the Spirit. Man is directly under the headship of Christ, and woman is directly under the leadership, the headship of man. Christ is directly under the headship of God, and this is what he's saying in this letter. We talked about this at the end of, of the lesson about relationships and family, so if you missed that, online listeners, don't tune out yet. Um, headship and submission. Hear this. This is important. Headship and submission do not imply 
superiority and inferiority. The issue is one of responsibility and relationship. Although a man is responsible for his family and his household, a man and woman are on equal standing in God's love and judgment and relationship with them. Galatians 3.28 says, there ain't, he writes to the Galatian church, there's no Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And when you study Hebrew, you see that men and women really were created. They were, they were opposite equals. The, literally, the meaning. Azer Konegdo in, in, in Hebrew. Look it up. The meaning was literally opposite. We're different. Equals. So, so this is not about inferiority and superiority, but it is about headship. So go back to verse 4. <clears throat> he says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, the phrase, having his head covered, is referring to a man's literal head. Guys say, it's talking about my head. Let's try that again. Guys, let's say, it's talking about my head. All right. Now, the phrase dishonoreth his head is most likely referring to Christ, the head of every man. Hey, if I'm praying, I'm having my head covered. I'm dishonoring my head. So again, King James English. I wasn't on the translation team, but I would have done it a little bit different. Okay? So, it says, King, it says, dishonoreth his head. So the reason for this is given in verse 7 when Paul says that man is the image of an invisible God. Okay? How about this? New International Version actually says this. Every man who prays or prophesies with long hair dishonors his head. So there's a reason sometimes I will preach from other versions than King James. God's word is infallible. It is inspired. But we translations aren't inspired. Ooh, I'm walking on thin ice. I'm going to get off it real quick. But God's word was not given to us in the in the King James version in English. That was made in 1611. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. So really, do I trust the King James? Absolutely. But sometimes is it good to consult another translation that has taken manuscripts and said, hey, maybe there was a better way to say this, but you have to be careful. I'll admit that. But New International Version literally says this, every man who prays or prophesies with long hair dishonors his head. Just to clarify something, I'm just, I, I'm probably just shaking everyone's foundation tonight. Um, Jesus didn't have long hair. <laughs> but I thought he did. I have a picture of him with long hair in my house right now. The movie with Jesus in it, he had long hair. It's impossible. He had to have had long hair. Get rid of the myth that he was this 
feminine looking weak man with womanly hair like you see in Renaissance paintings. This boy was raised and trained by his earthly father to do what? Be a carpenter. You ever hang out with carpenters? How many of you know feminine carpenters? (laughs) Not too many. I'm not saying they don't exist. But, I mean, like, carpenters are like rough hands. I was working with a carpenter and doing some stuff in my house this week, all right? And I had gloves on. He's like, why'd you got gloves on? And I was like, because, bro, I don't do this for a living. I was like, I ain't trying to get treated lumber in my hand. Okay, I work on computers and with microphones and stuff. But like, I mean, I just heard the story, and I'll say it. I'll just go ahead. I'll tell him. You can tell him he's famous. I worked with Sister Waller's son, James. And he showed me this scar that a couple years ago, he cut himself on a table saw and chipped off part of his bone. I said, were you working by yourself? And somebody, he said, yeah, a guy was with me. I said, what'd you do? You say, run me to ER? Literally, just had this conversation today. He said, no. He says, I took a dirty T-shirt. I wrapped it around, duct taped it. He said, I finished the job. And then that night, I took thread and I put three stitches and did it myself. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a feminine dude, but... But that, I was like, bro, I got a whole new level of respect. Now, women are probably like, that's stupid. (laughs) Guys are like, dude, whoa, that's tough. Like, we respect guys that do that. So, like, Jesus probably had weathered skin, roughed hands. He knew how to work with tools. He was not feminine. But then years, centuries later, Renaissance painters came along and they started to paint. It made him look all (laughs) frou-frou. And he wasn't. This is from Renaissance time. Okay? And the other thing, oh, yes, but, but he was a Nazarite. No, he was not a Nazarite, as some believe. He was a Nazarene not a Nazarite. A Nazarene means he was an inhabitant of the city of Nazareth. He did not take a Nazarite vow to leave his hair uncut. He did things that were strictly against the Nazarite vow. He drank grape juice, touched corpses, did not have a Nazarite vow. That was clearly explained in the book of Numbers. All the paintings showing him with long hair were painted many centuries later without scriptural or historical foundation. Roman sculpture and coinage, as well as other historical uh, uh, sources, all show that men of that day, in Christ's day, wore short hair. There's no historical representation of a man during that time period who had shoulder-length hair. Plus, <laughs> just, I'm just into just shaking things up tonight. If you think you're going to get to heaven and see Jesus and he's a fair-skinned white guy, he wasn't. So if you're racist, my Lord, you better pray through because Jesus isn't even white. Some of you are going to just leave and be like, whoa, mind blown. This is crazy. I thought he was a white dude with long feminine hair. I mean, what in the world? 
And he's talking about King James Version. And anyway, let's keep going. Verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if it were shaven. In this verse, the word head refers to a woman's literal head. Women say, my head. My head. How come they cooperate so much easier than guys? All right, while the phrase, (laughs) there's just so many things that you want to say and you just got to move on. Dishonoreth her head refers to her authority, whether that was a husband or a father, as I've taught. It doesn't say women, women need to be submitted to all men. Husband or father, all right? 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 7 teaches that a man's head is to be uncovered and a woman's head is to be covered. And almost all religious scholars agree with that. The confusion is caused by the fact that these verses talk about this covering, but they don't immediately say what this covering is. We're all on the same page so far. Two beliefs on this passage. One, it means that women need to wear a literal veil to cover their head, and some people still do this in American churches, and I should say in worldwide churches. Or two, it means that hair is a natural covering and a physical veil is not required. And if you say, I don't believe any of it, really, like I say, you're not even in line with, I'm not even talking about Pentecostal scholars. I'm just talking about societal, biblical literature scholars. All right? This is why context is so important. That's why we take time a whole evening to just dive into this because I want you to know. Even if at the end of the day you say, I'm not doing it. That's up to you. It's between you and Jesus Christ. But I want you to know what the Bible says and you know why it says it. Okay? And so headship is the topic of this chapter, but we're finally getting into the part of the chapter that sheds light as to what the covering actually is for men and women. Read verses 5 and 6 together. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So let's, let's look at this. The word shame there, okay? Let her all, uh, uh, where are we? Um, But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven. The word shame there, the Greek word aishron. The word refers to something that is shameful, disgraceful, or even dishonest. In verse 5, Paul now says that without her head covered, a woman is placing herself in the same category of shame and embarrassment as having her head shaved, which to the people of that day, this is zero surprise. They knew all the passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel where that represented shame. He was not telling them anything they did not know. No. Western culture, what? No, that's crazy. Their culture, hey, this is no surprise. We clearly see it's a shame and disgrace for a woman or pray or prophesy without this covering. But what's the covering? People still argue. This is the part of the passage where we get clarity. Paul's t- talking about what a shame it would be for a woman to, ha- to shave off the covering that God's given her. The verses do not say a woman must put on a covering. 
They simply indicate she must be covered. If she has her natural covering of hair, which we're going to look at in just a few seconds, she apparently doesn't need to put anything else on her head. She is covered. The word shorn, in case you don't know, in verse 6, it's the past participle verb of shear. It tra- it's translated from the Greek word kiro, which means to have one's hair cut. We should note an important fact here that ki- the word kiro and the English word shear simply refer to cutting. The word does not specify how much hair is cut off or how much is left after the cutting. Okay? The hair is shorn if any of it's cut off. According to these Greek words, what Paul is saying here, he's not talking about trimming two inches, four inches, shaved head. He, he's, he's, it's shorn when it's cut. The questions then raised by many women, well, what if I just trim or cut a little of the covering that God gave me, but not, I'm not going to shave it all off? As a matter of fact, it's healthier for my hair. I have split ends. And when you cut it, technically it grows longer, so maybe I'll get more glory. Paul addresses this by saying a woman ought not to be shorn or shaven. He puts shorn and shaved in the same category. Shaved head or cut hair, same category as to what he's saying. This is why, and this here is why, if you're listening online, if you're here tonight, this is why you will find a large majority of women in this church choose to leave their hair grow long and uncut. Because they simply look at this and feel, hey, if I do this, oh, so you got to earn God's grace. No, no one said that. It's me saying, I see something in the word of God, and I want to live that way because if I do this, I believe it is pleasing to my Lord and Savior. And that's why I'm going to choose to do that. Now, if you say, oh, I'm going to do it, fine, I'll do it, this is ridiculous, just because you, you're missing the blessing of that. Since it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or to have her hair cut or shaved, have her hair shaved off, she should be covered. But how is she covered? By the covering God naturally gives her. Look at the slide. Look at this next slide. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was man created for woman, but the woman for the man. The rationale, the rationale that Paul uses here reaches back to the dawn of human history and creation. Man was created first, then woman was made from a rib by his side. The roles are complementary but distinct. While God gave the man and woman certain unchangeable physical characteristics, I have to change that because now there is changeable physical characteristics and the crazy society that we live in but God's plan was to give unchangeable physical characteristics to distinguish them he allowed them to possess one 
unchangeable, distinguishing characteristic. What is that? We each can manipulate our hair. Man can allow his hair to grow, and a woman can cut her hair if she wishes. By conforming instead to God's standard, though, you can demonstrate your willingness to accept the role God has given you to fulfill your purposes in life by saying, hey, I'm doing, I'm aligning with this right here. And in, in here, and look at this next verse. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Faithful angels protect, guide, strengthen, and minister to the children of God. A woman displays power on her head like a sign. I've talked about signs. Angels take notice of this sign or this covering that women choose to let grow. This is an outward sign and a covering that shows angels and the rest of the world that a woman has chosen to submit to God's authority structure and to set herself apart for her creator. Can I even say this? There could be various reasons for this. Some people say, well, I haven't seen it in scripture. It's not a conviction of mine, and that's fine, and I'm not... I'm not dogging or, or, or making fun or trying to pressure anyone with that. But ultimately, if we see something in the Word of God and we say something like this or apparel, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I enjoy cutting my hair. At the heart of the matter, why do a lot of women say, you know what? I don't, in spite of anything I see, I'm not doing it. It's really a lot to do with pride. Because if we're going to be realistic tonight, I like to be realistic and, and genuine and transparent. As a woman, I know, I hear. That it's not always fun to have uncut hair. I mean, you look at all the supermodels and the billboards and the actresses and the singers and they're getting their hair layered and highlighted and doing all this stuff. And you know what? And then like all these guys are talking about how beautiful they are. And, and for a woman, it's so important. That's why God, well, why are you spending so many lessons on women's stuff? What about men? Men don't typically struggle with this. I mean, if you come and you're like, hey, Brother Foster, if, if we're at General Conference, he says, Brother Norma, your hair don't look good tonight. I'd be like, yeah, I know, it kind of stinks. <laughs> I mean, like, and I probably would not think about it again the rest of the night because I really don't care. I, I pray to God he doesn't think my hair looks good. <laughs> okay? But for a woman, if you guys are at Youth Congress and you tell Hannah, Hannah, your hair don't look right tonight. <laughs> Hannah may not get her blessing that night. And I pick on Hannah, but that's the majority of women. Because women tend to struggle with the external. A woman wants to feel beautiful. 
A woman wants to feel attractive. A woman wants to feel confident, not insecure when she walks into a Now, you start talking about a man, in, in, in a, a guy, he can feel insecure on a job where I don't know that, I don't know that computer programming lingo or, or I don't know how to run a saw. I mean, that's where a guy is feeling different. But when I'm working with James Waller, if he starts saying, hey, I don't like your pants today, I'd be like, well, what, what, who cares, dude? Cut the piece of wood, man. But if he says, hey, go grab the chop saw, and I'm like, oh, God, what's the chop saw? Oh, I don't want to look like an idiot. You know what I'm saying? There's totally different things going on here, and that's why God will say, hey, men, I would have men everywhere lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Men have a difficult time because this is a form of surrender. So look around sometime. That's why women naturally will express themselves in worship. God's calling for men to express themselves, but men have a hard time with that. That's why he says, I would have every man lift their hands without wrath or doubting. What do men typically deal with? Expressing themselves, surrendering. Dealing with anger? Next verse says what? Oh, let's talk about women and the way they dress. So why don't you deal with men and the way they dress? Because men don't typically deal with that. Why don't you deal with women and how angry they get? Because women don't often deal with that. I know some of you do. And some guys deal with the externals too. But typically, this is what he's dealing with. So... Tonight, just have an open mind and an open heart. Don't let your pride for wanting to just not stick out keep you from following something. Maybe God might want you to follow. Because if we're not careful, he says all that's in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We get sucked into those three things, including in these areas. Because you know what? I, like I said, I know it's not always when you let your hair down and it's down to here and people are going, oh my goodness, your hair is long. And you put your hair up and you're, you get a headache. I guarantee you that even women who are committed to this are not always going, whoa, Jesus, this is so fun. And I'll even say as guys sometimes, when I get out of the shower or something, there's hair wrapped around my toes and stuff. I'm not always excited about it. I mean, like, sometimes I'm randomly, I'm like, ugh, and I pull up long hair. You put on your socks and you feel, and you're like, oh, come on. And the worst part is when you don't realize it till you already put your shoe on. Like, it's one thing to find out when you get out of the shower, but it's another thing where, like, now i got to pull my shoe off, take my sock off, pull out the hair, put the sock back on, retie my shoe. <laughs> Guys, you feel me, right? Yes. Women are like, don't even. <laughs> Every day. I have to use these curling irons and hot sticks and bobby pins. In Pentecostal, women keep bobby pin companies in business. Like, they should give us a kickback. But so, as a woman, you can say, you know what? And if you're here and you're saying, uh, see, see, he's preaching that every person needs to do this. No, this is between you and God. But I want you to know there's something powerful, powerful about your commitment with your external appearance. I can teach this, and I'm going to teach a little bit more here. I can teach this, but there's certain things I can't explain. I've gone into churches that teach essentially the same plan of salvation message, but they've let go of the externals, and there is a lack of power. 
that comes when, when women are sanctified, separated unto God in saying, you know what? It does not matter what this world defines for me. I choose to use my body and my hair and my external appearance to give him glory and honor. There is power that comes because of that. Verse 11, neither, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. These verses, again, point out that men and women are equal footing in the sight of God. It almost seems that this teaching is inserted in the midst of this passage to prevent anyone from falsely concluding that men are superior to women. I mean, he just throws this in right smack in the middle. The subject of this passage is not superiority and inferiority. It's responsibility and authority. So then he says, hey, judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? If a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given for her for a covering. Woo, we're at a... We're at a critical point here. A question generally arises at this moment. How long must one's hair be to fit the biblical definition of long? Some cultures, you can leave your hair uncut and it don't grow. So is it just, oh, well, you're out of luck. It's got to be at least seven inches. Too bad for you. Does that sound like the God we serve? The answer to this centers on the Greek word kome, a noun. Koma is the, the word translated hair in the phrase in verse 15 that states, for her hair is given her for a covering. The meaning of this Greek word is uncut hair. So based on the meaning for the original Greek text, that would read this. For her uncut hair is given her for a covering. Long hair is hair he just addressed it that has not been shorn or shaven. Shorn means what? Cut. It's been allowed to grow. It does not require a specific length. Otherwise, it would be necessary for the scripture to specify that length to ensure conformity. Such an artificial measurement would exclude some women from the privilege of having long hair due to physical or hereditary factors that the, the length of a woman's uncut hair varies greatly. And that's not the way God is. Think of this. What is the one way? If we think of all of these arguments, let's just go to this. What is the one way to ensure that your hair never gets long. Cut it. The surefire way to guard against your hair getting long is to cut it. The statement for her hair is given her for a covering is critical, crucial to the entire passage for it provides the only specific definition of covering in the passage. This passage is not referring to a literal covering like a veil. When you look at the phrase, for her hair is given to her for a covering, the Greek word for is translated anti or instead of. 
Based on this understanding, the Greek word, the way it's phrased, we now understand that a woman's long, uncut hair is given to her for or instead of a covering. Her hair, when she allows it to grow without cutting it, serves as her covering. What does the phrase mean if a man had long hair? It's a shame unto him. Underlying this entire passage is the Bible teaching the distinction between men and women. We talked about this last week uh, with apparel. God is passionate about gender distinction. And that's why the world that we live in, the Bible says one of the signs of the end times, talks about it feminine, things like that. That's because it's not just homosexuality. It's blurring the lines of genders. This is not of God. And if anybody's going to be passionate about gender distinction, it better be the church. And so, distinction, it's a, between the sexes, the genders, it's a creation principle, meaning it's something God put in effect at the beginning of time and it's never changed. While a man might be able to escape the technical definition of long hair by having his hair cut once in a while, he could very well violate the spirit of the passage by giving the appearance of uncut hair and thus blurring the distinction of the genders. I, I feel like Styles change. Right now, we're in a style where the majority of men are wearing their hair shorter. Five years ago, it was longer. And guess what? Five years from now, it might be long again. But right now, it's not so much pertinent. But give it some time, and guys will be growing their hair out again. And he's passionate about gender distinction, God is. So the woman's hair should be clearly, according to what Paul is saying here, long and uncut. And the men's hair should be clearly short and cut. When you look at this topic historically, this was not an apostolic or Pentecostal issue. This was not a UPC. The UPC merged and started in 1945. Paul says in the very next verse, actually, I didn't even put it up there. First Corinthians, verse 16. Write this down if you want. Check it out. It says, I'm reading New Living. It says, but if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. I'll read that again. If anyone wants to argue about this, Paul says, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. Paul's basically saying this isn't a local church thing in Corinth. He's saying this is a widespread deal. This is all the churches. And if anybody's got an issue, you just need to look at it. This is a creation principle, and it's, it, it, look around. It's all the churches work like this. It wasn't just for the Corinthian church, like some might say. It's God's plan. And so not one single place in the Bible does Scripture speak favorably about a woman cutting her hair. Not one. New uh, Schaff Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge says, Women never cut their hair. And long hair was the greatest ornament to cut off a woman's hair and so expose her neck was the greatest humiliation. This is really nothing new, like I said. In broad terms, it's, it's, it's only the 20th century that the practice gained widespread ex- acceptance. 100 years ago, to insist a woman's hair was her glory would not have been anything strange. Today, the picture's changed. The World Encyclopedia says short hairstyles became popular in the 1920s. Irene Castle, a famous ballroom dancer, started a fashion called bobbed or cut hair for women. This so-called, and, and, and there's Irene Castle right there. And this so-called women's liberation movement today 
seeks to obliterate all distinctions between men and women in order to say that men and women are just equal. There's always equal. Well, little do they know, the Bible already says they're equal in the sight of God. There's just different roles. But we talked about these things in the lessons on relationship and family when discussing the roles of husband and wife. And again, in the gender distinction and apparel. Look what the document uh, had to say. Um, did I must have deleted I didn't put it up there. I'm sorry. The document. Listen to what they said. A declaration of feminism. Listen to this. Said about marriage. All of history must be rewritten in terms of the oppression of women. We must go back to ancient female religions. Marriage has existed for the benefit of men and has been a legally sanctioned method of control over women. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Do you see as things like this have grown, do you notice now there's gender distinction in apparel, transgenderism, uh, uh, marriages, divorcing at 60% rate? It's all tied in to just God saying, hey, a man should be a man. A woman should be a woman in their roles, in their clothing, in everything about them. But we've blurred this in the last hundred years, and society now is feeling the effects of these decisions. And it says, therefore, it's important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. We know it is the institution that has failed us, and we must work to destroy it. This is in a magazine called The Document. Why do I bring this up? Because 1 Corinthians 11 is not just about hair. It's about headship. God's plan for authority. And one of the ways we can show submission to his plan for headship is with the God-given covering he's, he's given us. Our hair. Whether you realize this or not, historically, the liberation of women from biblical beliefs, principles, and roles is connected with women cutting their hair. The practice did not originate in a spiritual revival, but in the flapper area, era of the 20s. It was not godly women who decided that cutting their hair should now be acceptable after centuries of disgrace. Just like it wasn't godly men that led them into a time that's now accepted to grow their hair longer. The hippies of Woodstock were not God-fearing, spirit-filled men. For, for men, it was like people like Elvis Presley and the Beatles that made this acceptable. Which is crazy, because like the, he went on to the, uh, oh, what's the show that when they came over in America and sang? Ed Sullivan show. And people flipped out. Now, those guys, you look at them, they're they're nothing bad about that in in today's society. But someone had to push the limit of what was acceptable. The practice of women cutting their hair was born of the desire of women to break the chains of responsibility of husbands and fathers. The heart of this was rebellion to the headship of that time. I'm not saying that every woman that cuts her hair is a rebellious attitude. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying study history. Look what it was born out of. Don't take my word. Study it. I'm simply saying look at history and how things changed after Paul's letters. And I'm bringing this to a close here. Regardless of what society may embrace from time to time, The Bible teaches that if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her and her family, and it's given to her by God for a covering. 
This is not punishment. It's not a bad thing. God wants you to have power and protection with him, with the angels, and what a privilege we have as men and women to be able to honor God with the hair on our head. Obedience to this is a sign of consecration to God. Of course, a symbol is meaningful only if it accurately communicates the underlying reality. Our hair is not meaningful if we have a rebellious attitude or we're persistently disobedient in other areas. We do not put more emphasis on the externals. That's why I started with the basics and this series. And as I started this session by saying, I have not and will not ever say or insinuate that your outer appearance is as important or more important than the, the interior. This will be born out of its reflection of what is inside. And there's blessing, protection, and anointing that comes with your willingness in this area. Even witches understand the power of hair. Even Indian tribes. Ask Jessica sometime about it. Understand the power of a hair and covering. There have even been reports of women letting their hair down and making a specific urgent prayer request. Folks, this is not doctrine, but an act of faith that has appeared to move God at various times in the past. If the idea of this was to try and make God feel obligated to answer a specific prayer, you owe me, it was done wrong. But in an act of faith, a spontaneous act to confirm consecration, saying, God, this is something that I've done in separation unto you. It's powerful. And so I know some of you, you know this story. You're, you're aware of this story. But for those who have not heard it and for those who are listening online, I want to conclude this lesson by asking my wife to come and just tell this story about what happened in their car accident. And again, I say I know many of you have heard this. But just for those who have not and those listening online, I want you to hear this story as we close this tonight. I told this story the last time that he taught on this, but I feel like this time my sister should tell it, honestly, because it's more about her, but I won't put her on the spot. Um, before I get into it, I will tell something funny. So we do a very old-fashioned curriculum in, for homeschool, and Kara was learning a spelling word of hair the other day. And in her face is the scripture on a woman's hair is a glory to her. And this whole thing, all about hair. And I just laughed at it because I thought, even in today's Christian curriculum, that scripture is probably omitted. But it's old-fashioned, so there it is. It's sitting in there. Um, and so Kara and I talked about hair, and we had this conversation. And this morning, I decided to clean out my vacuum. And so I was cleaning the vacuum, and I turned it over, and I always have to cut all the hair out of the vacuum because it just winds up in there. I have to do it every couple months. So I'm cutting the hair, and Kara goes, Mommy, you're cutting your hair. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but no. <laughs> I said, honey, well, it's not on my head, but it's still your hair. You're still cutting it. So anyway, that's a funny story, but yes, I'm like telling her, well, honey, it's not on my head anymore, you know, and she, but she's serious. I mean, she obviously understood something I was saying, so I thought that was really cute, um, but when I was 17, my family and I were in a really bad car accident, and uh, prior to that, my mom had gone to a church where it was a kind of a hot topic. A lot of the women were choosing to trim their hair and to cut their hair, and 
there was a lot of confusion and a lot of things going on. And my mom had made the commitment that she was never going to cut her hair or to cut her daughter's hair. And so she said, God, I'm going to do it out of my love for you. I'm going to choose to do it because I want to honor you in this way. And so years passed, and we got in this really bad car accident. And my sister had flown out the back window going like 60 miles an hour, hit the pavement, completely unresponsive to all natural means. She was no longer there. And my mom rushed out of the car and saw her, you know, just in a panic, and saw her and took her hair down because she always believed that there is a special supernatural just... The angels take notice. There's a protection around God's people when we choose to honor him in this way. And there is something that is supernatural about a woman's uncut hair. And so she believed that there was, that there were angels protecting us, that there was this power and this presence with her. And so when my sister's there, she took her hair down and put it on her, and she just said one little word. And I always cry when I tell this story. I told this story to my coworkers at my job once, and they all cried. Because you can't talk about something so powerful and not feel the presence of God. Anyway, so she took her hair down and she put it on my sister. And she simply said, God, you promised. And whether it was her uncut hair that moved God at that moment or it was her faith, you know, we'll never know. Probably a combination of those two. But in that moment, my sister came back and opened her eyes and was there. In an accident that the police officer said, we absolutely should all have been dead. We all are alive, and really without very many problems. So I know that I consider it a blessing to be able to serve God and to honor God in this way. And it's not easy. If you're a woman, it's not easy. I can only wear my hair in one way. I have a huge scar on the top of my head from that accident. I can't put it up. So it's basically here or it's down. And it's not down a lot because I have kids and pull it all the time. So it is. It's challenging. You have very little that you can do, but I know that because of that choice, there's something with God that I have that if I chose to not do that, I would never have. And you all that don't cut your hair know the same thing. There's something with God, and there's an authority that the angels recognize because the angels are very into authority. And they see us, and I believe, I truly believe that they kind of stand in awe of that choice of submission. So anyway... Let's stand to our feet, and whether you choose to do this or not to do this, there is a lot to think about in a lot of Bible that we covered tonight. So and I can encourage you to take the things that we've, you've been given and study them, look at them. And so, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, you challenge us to study to show ourselves approved, Lord Jesus, that we, Lord, just don't take things at face value because someone in a commentary just wrote this or that, that, that Lord, that, that culture does not define, Lord Jesus, what's normal for us. Your word does. And, Father, we want to live in a, a holy consecration unto you in every facet, from the very inside to the very outside, Lord Jesus. We want to be pleasing, holy, acceptable, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just pray that if anyone's struggling with this, that you would help them, Lord Jesus, speak to them as to what you would have them to do, Lord, and that our hearts and minds would be open, Lord Jesus, to whatever it is that you're showing us here tonight. 
tonight, Lord, because, Lord Jesus, our bodies are not our own. We've been bought and paid for with a price. And, Father, it is truly an honor, an honor to serve you and to love you and to live for you and to reflect you to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.